Thank you for listening to the Austin Connection podcast. The Austin Connection is also a free newsletter and community on Substack. Check it out at austinconnection.substack.com. See you there. A very common thing is like, oh, don't bring politics into Jane Austen. Jane Austen brought politics right? into Jane Austen, <laughs> right? Like she did. Uh, I don't see why I shouldn't when she did. Yeah, I'm just I, taking her lead. Yeah, to me, Jane Austen is so much, it's romance, but it's also social commentary. You might have heard of this little YouTube series sensation known as the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. It's a video series that put the story and characters of Pride and Prejudice in real-world workplace settings on video with contemporary diverse relationships. What you might not know is that Lizzie Bennet Diaries, or LBD for fans, sparked a host of literary YouTube retellings, including one that dropped this week by four LBD fans and creators who got together for their YouTube series based on Jane Austen's persuasion. It's called Rational Creatures. Its characters Anna, Fred, Madisol, and Louis navigate their way through persuasions, pining, friends to lovers, and other romance tropes, and it's all free on YouTube. Season two of Rational Creatures just dropped. This is the Austin Connection. I'm your host, Plain Jane. Maybe the best thing about the Rational Creatures series is that while this version navigates relationships and friendships, the series is created by a group of friends collaborating in various locations across the country and beyond. Ashlyn Barrios, Ruiz Pagano, Jessamine Lee, Hazel Jeffs, and Anya Steiner created the project, coming together from various places across the globe as friends and collaborators. For this episode of the Austin Connection podcast, Ashlyn and Jessamine caught up with me. They were in Toronto and Oregon, respectively. I was in McDonald's in rural Missouri. We talked about Jane Austen's classic story of persuasion, Anne Elliott, Frederick Wentworth, and putting it all into a contemporary retelling on YouTube. Rational Creatures. Here's our conversation. So thank you again, Jessamine and Ashlyn, for joining the Austin Connection for the podcast. Thank you for having exactly. us. No. <laughs> so let me ask first, first of all, congratulations on Rational Creatures. Thank you. I, it's it been, really been a long road. <laughs> okay, well, I want to hear all about it. <laughs> Let's hear about the journey. Um, how did Rational Creatures come about? How did you all come up with this idea of making a YouTube series out of Jane Austen's most soulful emotional story i feel persuasion yeah so we it really goes back to 2012 when Liz, the lizzie bennett diaries came out which is a another um adaptation of a jane austen novel as you know um in youtube form and that sprung off, well both Jessamine and I were fans and so were our co-creators hazel and anya but that spun like a legion of other shows that were made by indie creators that were based on literature and the majority of them were made by women and so I think we all kind of took inspiration from that and we all ended up somehow involved in that fandom and community and that's kind of how we all met we ended up all working on each other's projects and things like that like I was a writer on Justin's show based called Twincidence uh we were all I think we were all writers for Hazel's show away from it all yeah we were and in that we kind of like formed an online friendship. Like we're all located in different parts of North America and the UK. Hazel's in the UK, I'm in Toronto. 
uh, Jessamine's in Oregon. Anya was in Chicago at the time. Um, she's now in Minnesota. <laughs> and we all kind of started talking and connecting. And in that came a group chat where we were just shooting off persuasion ideas. And some of us, including myself, had already kind of drafted what our dream modern adaptation might look like. And in discussing it, we were kind of coming up with better and new things and things we were combining until one of us was just like, hey, why don't we actually do this? Like for real. <laughs> and then that's kind of how it came to be. That's amazing. Yeah. So it, it came to be through the fandom. Jessamine, what do you add to yeah. that? Uh, and I guess you touched on a little bit persuasion being like the most soulful and um, introspective and like it's a very different book I think all of Jane Austen's books are different but I think persuasion feels like more of an outlier um, and so it was really interesting to approach it um, really differently than any of these other YouTube shows it was the first time we were like it doesn't make sense to do this one the Lizzie Bennett style where the characters are uh, vlogging because we can't and wouldn't see, do that yeah we can't and see Anne doing that um so we do have a little nod to it with flashback episodes where she, she vlogged a little bit as a teen when she was um in a different phase in her life uh but we shifted to filming in a more traditional cinematic style which was uh both a good creative challenge for us it's much more uh time consuming and complicated um but also was just a much better fit for this story. Okay, well, talk a little bit more about that. I First of all, I do want to come back and hear a little bit about how do you go from getting the idea to actually releasing this thing? And I think one, one key thing in that is also a key thing in Jane Austen, which is going to be money. <laughs> how did you do for that? For sure. <laughs> Let me come back to that, though, because I really love that you're talking about, you know, the differences in the stories and persuasion and the, the way it stands out and seems particularly challenging in a way for a, a YouTube series. Why was it persuasion? It was a number of things. Um, one, in this format, we hadn't seen persuasion be done. And also, I think we were all we were all reaching a level point of our lives where we were teetering around the age that Anne Elliot is in the book. Whether we were exactly that age or just under that age, we were approaching that age. And so you're all losing your bloom. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <not>. <laughs> You're clearly not. In, in Jane Austen era terms, yes. <laughs> but in a lot of ways, it felt that way. Now. Right? In, you feel like you're losing your bloom. So go ahead, Ashley. Yeah. Yeah. Like in, in Jane Austen's time, if you were reaching that age and you weren't like married, like, oh my goodness, you're a spinster basically, right? Well, that's, she is a spinster in the book. Um, in our lives, maybe we're not called to that. Maybe we're not judging whether or not we're all married or something, but we are judging like, do I have the career I want? Am I living in a city that I want to be living in? Um, at the time, especially like millennial, we were all, we're all millennials. Like, are we living at home? Are we living on our own? Uh, what, what does society think of that, right? And what if I still don't know what I want to do with my life, even though I've done the things I'm quote unquote supposed to do or the things that I've planned to do, they just haven't turned out the way that I expected them to. And so we related a lot to the content. At least I definitely did. Like, I know that there's this thing in the Jane Austen fandom that you start with your favorite book and then eventually your favorite book becomes persuasion. And that's <laughs> 
I'm a cliche hundred percent. Cause that's what happened to me. Like I came into the fandom being like Mr. Darcy forever. And I still love him, um, but I'm now more, I, I relate more to Anne Elliot than, um, than I do to, to Lizzie. Um, and, and that's you, kind of you why cheating. you're cheating on Darcy now with <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> I'm still hoping to find my real life, Mr. Darcy. <laughs> What do you think it was, Ashlyn, that made you feel so intensely, as you put it, about persuasion? Well, I always joke that like I'm I'm Latina. My mom made me watch telenovelas as as a child, so I'm very dramatic, and I associate it with my viewing of of um, telenovelas when I was a kid. But I do think that of of the novels, persuasion does have, as Justin and you have said, like there's an emotional piece that carries the novel. We're constantly in really in tune with what Anne is feeling throughout. Um, and that part really connect. I connect with that part of it, like the soul of the novel. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? I don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Reading Jane Austen with the telenovela watching, um, of course, that makes a lot of sense. And I, nobody, I don't think anybody on the Austin connection has actually made that parallel, but I think it's a fantastic one. What about you, Jessamine? Why, why persuasion for you? Um, I think I don't relate as much in personality to Anne, I think, as some people do, because I am a more, I'm probably Emma in real life. <laughs> I, am a, I am a more outgoing, talky sort of person. But I think yeah, it's really that stage of life that she's in. And as we looked at putting it in modern day, especially um, feeling like, uh, you know, I, <laughs> what we did with our, our modern analog of Anne, analog <laughs> that wasn't meant to be a pun um <laughs> is you know she's uh feeling stuck in her life she's living at home and working for her family's business and those are both things that I've found myself in the position of and being like is this what I want to do with my life though um so even though she uh I think feels stuck and doesn't know what she wants or how to get to it even though her personality expresses that differently than mine I think I really relate a lot to that and then I don't, I wouldn't say I relate to it at this point in my life, but the, the romance of it is like the ultimate slow burn. I mean, if we're, if we're going to talk like romantic tropes, it doesn't get any better than like seven years of pining for each other. And it's just such little, uh, moments that they experience with each other reconnecting that are just, there's so much tension in them and just these tiny interactions where no one else notices that there's anything happening between them but because they have that strong connection and so much feeling for each other still like I just eat that stuff up it's so good love it and please let's do talk romantic tropes so you know what what was the process of finding those romantic tropes the slow burn the fun of this there's so much regret throughout the pining to speak trope language and the pining and the regret, but then also just that joy at the end. But, you know, the evolution of that Anne's going through, she's talking to herself all the time. There's so much self-care in, in this story. Mm -hmm. She really gives herself, she talks to herself so much and guides herself through without any other guide that she can rely on, which I think is really amazing. What, what were some of your favorite tropes and your favorite aspects of the story that you think really needed were just desperate to come out into a contemporary um, LGBT diverse romance? 
Ooh, that's a really good question. Yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> uh, I well, I think we started with the slow burn. We we definitely started with that, and I I think you you touched on money earlier. The reason we made it two seasons was because we had no money. <laughs> we would have if it were up to us, we would have done it all in one um, go, but we, we couldn't because we didn't have money. So we had to split it up into these two seasons. And I think that's something that was very difficult for us in season one was how do you make a season one with the, like showing the potential to the audience, especially if they're not familiar with the source material and that there is pining and we're leading up to something we promise, but we can't, like, we, we can't have them actually discuss it. Uh, right. So that, that's, a, that was a huge challenge of, of season one. But I do think in, in modernizing it, to touch on that point, we really wanted to see, as I said, we, we were all kind of the same age as the characters when we start, oh my gosh, my dog, sorry if you heard that. <laughs> the same age as the characters. And we wanted the group of friends or the group that the characters interact with to look like or to sound like and to have the same experiences our friends did. Right. So there are people of color and there are people with different sexualities because that's what all of our friend groups kind of look like, even though we're in different parts of the world. Um, and so that's kind of what brought in that those elements to it. And each character kind of has influences of all of us. Right. Mm -hmm. So like I'm Latina, I mentioned. So Anna is in our show or Anna Elliot is is also Latina. And there's elements of all of that in the show. But in in doing that and making gender swaps and creating LGBTQ plus characters in the show, we also kind of had to change some other characters to kind of make it fit the way we wanted it to. So for example, um, Bennick, you see our Ben Wick um, a lot earlier in the story, for example, uh, to set up that potential love interest slash story. There is so much going on and it's, it's so much easier on the page to me putting all of this, just so much internal dialogue, so much interiority, uh, which is the word I love about Jane Austen, but going on so much with Anne Elliott, which is I think why we love her so much, why we feel so intensely about Anne Elliott and any adaptation of Anne Elliott. But putting that on a screen is hard, but I, I do like watching you, you can see Anne's thoughts and we can sense that pining. And we can also see the really painful kind of conversations going on. We, we're feeling her pain, you know? So so you you do have that in the season one. Jessamine, what do you have to add to all Yeah. Um, I think, well, just to circle back to, I think what the original question was to kind of touch on romantic tropes. We of course have our, our pining with uh, Fred and Anna, our Wentworth and Anne versions. Um, and then I think it's been fun fleshing out, um, as Ash is saying, our Benick and Louisa, who are now Ben Wick and Lewis. Um, so they're now a male-male pairing. Um, and they ended up, just because of the way that we decided to put the characters together, they get to do uh, like friends to lovers trope. They're roommates, which always, you know, makes us think of the meme you know oh my god they were roommates um we get we get comments on the youtube videos of them all the time about that so it's been fun to do that and it's fun to take um as we're translating a book and something from a different time and take it and be able to use the cinematic language of modern rom-coms to do those tropes so you know there's there's ways that you show things that audiences are used to romance and romantic comedy playing out on screen so because we're moving it to screen and to modern day, we're able to use those 
which can be camera work. It can be the way the circumstances are set up, like being roommates. You know, there's a lot of different things, um, but that's really fun to get to play with. Great. Speaking of that, what were your two, what were your roles? What did you do, Ashlyn and Jessamine, each of you? Ashlyn, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, so um, I mentioned that we're part of a team of four. So it's yep. um, Jessamine, myself, Hazel, and Anya. And uh, for my, for me, I'm a co-writer, co-director, co- executive producer, basically co-everything under, um, under everything, except for um, editing and cinematography, which um, Jessamine and Anya take over a little bit more. But Jessamine, do you want to add to that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm more or less the same. We wrote this in a very uh, collaborative manner to the point where there's a lot of scenes that we, someone wrote them initially, but we've been through about a hundred Zoom calls since then where we all sat with the same document in front of us and all typed in it. So like most scenes, I couldn't tell you who wrote them um, because they're so collaborative, which I think is a pretty cool and unique experience um, that we are able to mesh so well together on that. Yeah, I mean, what a collaborative project. And let me ask a little bit about the acting because I think one of the really strong aspects of this is the actors, you have great actors and the scenes come across really well. But I know that that's also a lot of directing and a lot of editing going on um, to make that acting work. Um, how did you cast this? And how did you find these, these, uh, these great actors? I love to talk about our actors because I adore them. <laughs> I do not know how, you know, who we sold our souls to, to get such a delightful cast. <laughs> Uh, we put out a casting call for season one and it was almost all just a uh, self-tape them submitting a video audition. Uh, Anya did in-person callbacks just for the two leads. But other than that, we did not meet anyone ahead of time at all. And because we were on such a tight amount of time because most of us had to travel to be there as well as budget, we didn't have rehearsal time we didn't have almost anything. So it was very much like, you have the role, here's the script. Uh, Please here, don't mess this up. <laughs> here's some costumes and, oh, hi, we're meeting you on set. So in 10 minutes, we're gonna do your scene. Um, and they just rose to that challenge. They all came in and just brought the characters to life immediately. Um, and I don't, I don't feel like we have to direct their acting very much. No, I it's feel like the director's job on this show has been keeping set running and mm -hmm. like deciding camera angles and stuff, but coaching acting, we don't have to do a lot of because they are so good in these roles. It's so rare for us to go, hey, can you try this this way instead? Like it it almost like Justin said, virtually never happens because they're just all so in tuned. They understand who the characters are. Um sometimes better than us, uh, which is, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, um, but they really, they really do. Huh. But yeah, they just show up and they're just ready to go. They have their lines down. I just can't say enough good things about them. I love them so much. They really, they also have like <laughs> lots of chemistry within, like as a group, right? Like yeah, when especially we, considering again, only two of them met ahead of time. Yeah, like when we, when we, um, 
got to actually filming, we were all very busy. We didn't have time to like, be like, so tell us about your life. Like, but they all did. Uh, they all had like lunches together and were able to chat and joke. And like the biggest thing we do on set is ask everyone to be quiet. Cause they're usually like, laughing. they're having too much. They're fun. having, yeah, they're having a great time. We're like, okay, that's nice. But we like, need to like film. Something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, awesome. So they really connected with each other, which is really great. That's amazing. Uh, and and I love it that, you know, you're you're because we know the story and we can see the casting, you're going to end up with a um, sort of traditional um, romance at the end, but also a an LGBT romance that's going to happen between Lewis and Benick. What what do you feel like talking on themes? This is kind of a deep question, but. What do you? What I think is really great about some some adaptations and some retellings is that they end up highlighting something about the original story that you had not necessarily considered so much, and that's what I think is really really special about people harnessing these stories and making them work and making them relevant. Would you say there's anything that stands out to you as your rational that rational creatures in this series? kind of highlights that's actually there hiding in plain sight or there in persuasion that's one of your favorite things to tease out of it that is such a good question I have to like ponder it for a second I, mean, I, I feel bad because I'm kind of hitting you with this really difficult question no I mean it's a really good question um well what about like Anna and Marisol's relationship is that's true it and we developed that in season two that's something we really touch on a lot in season two yeah. as well um but their relationship is something like in the book the character of mary is kind of like she's hilarious first of all but she yes. she's kind of annoying right you're like why are you like this um and our our version of marisol is a little it's different um we she's not i i don't think she's as annoying maybe we're just too close to it <laughs> Uh, but she's different or at least she's not just shallowly annoying you Ex understand yeah. more layers of yeah. to her I think perhaps yeah. in the book version but I I do think that like we we really stress on like their their sisterhood their sisters right what what can what, what does that mean right and I don't know that in the on the first reading of the book you, you like yeah they're sisters but are they really like you know, like Mary barely knows about her history with Fred Wentworth, uh, Frederick, sorry, I'm, I'm conflating our characters with the book. Yeah. Um, in our version, Marisol was present while, while they were having a relationship. She wasn't off at boarding school. So, so she knows a little bit of the history. And it's interesting because she still, she still puts Anna in this awkward position where she basically invites um, Fred into their lives. Um, but she has her own feelings about that as well. And I don't know, I just find that's a theme in the book that's kind of like not really gone into that we go into a little bit deeper. Yeah, I think it's made us think as we were adapting it, like, okay, so the book is called Persuasion. Who's persuading who and why and where does that work thematically? And I'm not going to say too much because uh, we're going to get into a lot of stuff about this in season two. <laughs> Um, as far as who regrets or doesn't regret things, who was persuaded by who and how and, and how much in ours, I think we actually interestingly take some of the persuasion to be even more internal, that it's almost more that characters have persuaded themselves to do things that aren't what they truly want because of a sense of duty to their family or whatever it may be. 
to me, Lady Russell, again, on first reading, probably wouldn't have gone in this, but now it's like it, she's almost a symbol of societal pressure, right? She's a symbol of what society would have deemed um, and marrying Captain Wentworth or non-Captain Wentworth at that point would have been. Um, and we don't have a personification of that, but we translate that in our own way, like Justin says, and we'll get into that in season two. Well, both of those are fascinating. I mean, and fascinating answers to that to that question, actually, that um, I think you're right. I think that Marisol and Anna, that relationship is really interesting and kind of highlighted in Rational Creatures. And and then also what you're saying, Justin, and I love just that you, you all were able to get creative and look at the idea of pers being persuaded and persuadableness <laughs> and, with, and what way, how we delude ourselves. And so I look forward very much to, you say both of those things are things that really kind of come out even more in season two. So fun. I look yeah. forward to that. This is the Austin Connection. We're hearing from Justin Lee and Ashlyn Barrios Ruiz Pagano about the contemporary diverse retelling of Jane Austen's Persuasion, It's Rational Creatures, a YouTube series, and season two just dropped. They're all there in Rational Creatures. Mary is Madisol, and the sister relationship between Madisol and Anne or Anna is expanded on in this series. There's also Wentworth, Benick, Louisa, or characters based on them. But these characters look more like Ashlyn and Jessamyn's friends. They're working, they're dating, they're LGBT, they're diverse, and of course, they're pining extravagantly. We've got tropes like friends to lovers, there's romance, there's all kinds of pressures and sexual tension. Basically, some of our favorite things going on in Jane Austen's stories. Jessamyn spoke to us from Oregon, Ashlyn from Toronto. I was at McDonald's in rural Missouri. Let's get back to the conversation. Tell me, tell me your thoughts on, on producing on this platform, producing just on the interwebs, <laughs> but what do you, what do you think about producing on, what would you advise other people who want to tell stories on this platform? And kind of, if I can make this kind of a double question, you were big uh, fans of the Lizzie Bennett diaries, um, which was also sort of low, low budget. I don't know how low budget it's Bernie Sue who's huge right um but I, I don't know how big he was at the time but uh what did you love about experiencing that platform as a fan and how do you feel about this platform as a filmmaker and as a creative I think if we were oh, given nice. money we wouldn't have chosen this platform like if yeah. we had like if we had been get, if a, a studio came up to us and was like here's all this money we would have been like yeah let's make a TV show or whatever a movie we probably would have um, made this a feature film if just okay, we, if next money step. was no object <laughs> <laughs> the thing is it's like it's 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 expensive to make any sort of media um, and even after crowdfunding and doing everything, it's still expensive. Like we, we at no point paid ourselves for all the work that we've done. Uh, we've mentioned like, we wish we could have paid our actors way more. Um, it, it's a hard thing to do. And it really is a labor of love. Like every, at every single stage there, there were all, we always were like, should we just give up now? Cause we've tried, <laughs> we've tried this. We, we've tried crowdfunding. We've tried raising grants it has and at every step it's like the love for the project and the book has kept us going and, and gotten us to this point so it's it's tough I don't think I would recommend it if you're just trying to do something for the heck of doing something but at the same time like would my life be a little worse if I had given up and not gone through with it yeah I think so like I 
enjoy doing this. This is what I enjoy doing as I, this kept me sane through throughout the pandemic. Cause I was like, I need to continue to work on rational creatures. Cause we we're, we have like, people are depending on us to make this thing. So I, I do think it's a, it's a labor of love. And so that love hate relationship is like Justin mentioned is really true. Like we wish the plat the platform is accessible, which is nice, right? Like no one has to pay to watch our show, which is nice. Uh, but at the same time, if someone wants to pay us money um, to make a movie or something, we wouldn't say no. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think the great thing about YouTube is accessibility, both on the side of free content for the audience, but also anyone can post anything on YouTube. So if you especially are someone young with very little experience and you just want to start making, you just want to start as a filmmaker in any way, shape or form it is great for that. And, you know, that is how I started. I started in 2014. My first show was not very good <laughs> and it was filmed like a vlog. So it was very low barrier to start because it was like, you can film it on someone's phone in your bedroom, you know? Um, and it's been, I've used uh, filmmaking as sort of my own film school, you know, um, over the past several years. But I'm also starting to reach the point where I'm like, I am privileged to have enough flexibility in my schedule because of family support and stuff, but I would like to, you know, be able to make a living off this. That would be really nice or, or at least not have it be draining money <laughs> from me because even with the crowdfunding, there's things here and there that I've chipped in on my own or just my time. Um, so yeah, it's really a mix of it's great and it's a great place to learn, but I also would like to see there be more and more ways for it to shift to something that could be a sustainable source of income for independent creators, especially without having to go through the studio system and uh, yield so much creative control to them. Um, I think especially when you're trying to make content that is progressive, we see still so much um, of studios not wanting to give creators um, voices to tell stories that are about women, about people of color, about LGBT people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, That's a good point. Know, it's, it's slowly yeah. shifting, but it is slow. And I think one of the great things about the little community of uh, web series that kind of launched off LBD was that it really was such such passion projects and because there was no overhead control from a studio or executives i forget sometimes that mainstream media is not at that point with representation like i'll be like you know my my mom or someone will be like oh it's so cool that Shit's creek has this like amazing revolutionary gay love story and i'm like it is great i love it but also like, to me, that seems like what should be the norm because that's what I've been watching for eight years. So, it also yeah. like, if had, had some big contributor, a studio or whatever, a different platform given us money to do this. I don't know, you're right. I don't know if the show would look the way it does because we would have had voices saying, cast a big star or, um, you know, don't gender bend that character. Um, so, in, in that sense, yeah, we, we, we struggled <laughs> financially, yeah, but so we had the, the creative liberty to do what we it has its It has its, you know, there's flip sides to it. There's a lot of good things. There's a lot of hard things. I hope that 
we can keep finding ways for independent content to have more of the good things and less of the hard things. Well, that's very well said, both of you, and really interesting. And I and I love where you got in your thinking there. What about the Jane Austen discussions? Are, I'm not sure how involved mm. you are, either of you, in the Jane Austen discussions, but are there things that you'd like to see in our discussions about Jane Austen? That's one thing that I consider a goal with the Austen Connection is to push forward new ideas, fresh perspectives of all kinds, but particularly inclusive and, and diverse and LGBT discussions in the gym. Yeah. What do you think about that? I, I think early on we had these, um, or I, there was pressure of being like, okay, what are the Jane Austen fans going to think about this decision that we've made here? And I think at some point we kind of went, well, we're just going to do it our way because this is what we want to see. And we know that there are Jane Austen fans who also want to see this. Like, we're not, an, like, it's not just the four of us, like, like you right. said, right? Like, there's more people that want to see these things, um, right? And, but I, I do think that there is an issue in, in the Jane Austen fandom. And for for some reason, some um, certain individuals in it don't see it. Um, which is problematic. And, you know, there are a lot smarter people than me to discuss why and how we can fix that. But I do think that there definitely is an issue, like a Jane Austen purist who, who is in, in that thought process is probably not going to be the right audience for our show. They're probably not going to like it. Um, but we hope that we can open, you know, give it, give it a shot. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe if you like this one, you'll like something like Schitt's Creek or some other type of media. And maybe, you'll think about the way you're thinking about things and reassess eventually. I don't know. But it is also to me, it's like when people say a, a very common thing is like, oh, don't bring politics into Jane Austen. Jane Austen brought politics right? into Jane Austen, <laughs> right? Like she did. Uh, I don't see why I shouldn't when she did. Yeah, I'm just I, taking her lead. Yeah, to me, Jane Austen is so much, it's romance, but it's also social commentary. All she did was write about the, the, you know social issues of her time and she wrapped them up in romance and I think that's a big part of why they worked is because she balanced those two elements so nicely but if she was writing today you know it would probably look a little different because the issues have shifted well some of them some of them are shockingly the same too like I think that's a really interesting thing when you're adapting stuff to go like, oh, this issue that this woman in Jane Austen's time 200 years ago, we're kind of still facing that one. And then other ones where you're like, well, okay, yeah, that's, that's different. Or, you know, maybe this was a blind spot for Jane because of the society she was in. And, you know, that's not how we want to do that. And I think that there's, I'm not deeply involved in online Jane Austen fandom. I'm kind of in the periphery and I've seen I know that there's, you know, conflict between different camps of, there's certainly some camps that seem to be sort of white conservatives um, that have a certain view of Austin that to me doesn't make sense. And I think um, that, you know, there's some unfortunate stuff happening in those kind of circles, but I also see a lot of people that are um, taking the kind of approach we are and seeing Seeing and trying to open more, people's eyes. Yeah, like yeah seeing to... more kinds of people can fit into Austin's work. Yeah, so that's a good place to start is just with Jane Austen herself and what she's, like you said, Jessamine, I think that's a really good way put, of putting it as well, that they're certainly going to be blind spots. It's not like we can hail this person as, <laughs> but- And you know, that's okay, we, right? You can like, you can like, I think that's something we've figured out in the last couple of years mm -hmm. is you can like something and recognize 
the parts that don't work or the parts mm -hmm. that haven't aged well and yes. still enjoy it as long as you recognize it, right? I'm sure that yeah. our, even like our show probably has blind spots that we haven't, we're not just not or, to or see. we don't, yeah, or we'll see them in five years and be like, what were we exactly, thinking? you know, you know, but like that's okay. You're that's that is what human nature is like. We progress as a species, hopefully. Um, and and yes. we can like Jane Austen with without with while recognizing that they're like we've said there are blind spots you know yeah it's 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 you're engaging with it and you're engaging exactly. in a way that pushes it forward um for all of us and makes it even more relevant which is what's so exciting yeah. and Jane Austen was doing that when she talked about novels you know and when she, mm -hmm. she right. referring to the art and the things going on in her time and 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 parodying it and uh, engaging with it in really irreverent ways, especially yeah. in the teenage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's yeah. all very much in the spirit of Jane Austen. So yeah, and I think that's why her work endures because there's yeah. so much in it that you can either see a very direct correlation to something in modern day, or you can see how the same type of commentary and the same, not the exact same issues, but the same sort of outlook on issues translates so much to modern day so true well congratulations let me just say thanks to both of you for being on the austin connection thank, thank you for having us. having us this was really fun interview yeah yay it was fun for me too thank right. you thank right. you so bye much bye. it's been a pleasure have a good day bye bye, bye. bye. That was Ashlyn Barrios Ruiz Pagano and Jasmine Lee talking about their new series, Rational Creatures, a contemporary retelling of Jane Austen's Persuasion. It's airing on YouTube for free with season two just out this week. You can see links to the series and much more at austinconnection.substack.com or search for Rational Series on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, where you can see all the episodes as they drop for free. Have a beautiful weekend. Get in touch with us. Let us know if you watched the series, if you've watched Lizzie Bennett Diaries, and anything else you want to tell us at austinconnection.substack.com. Take care.